0: Hello, and welcome. My name is Kyle Nielsen, and this is How You Level Up, a podcast where I ask questions to help you become your best self. Today I'm speaking with Rudy Dogum. Rudy is the face and host behind the brand Wholesome Crypto. He's been involved in the crypto and blockchain space since 2013 and I had an absolute pleasure chatting with him about cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, disagreements within the Web3 sphere, and in general, plus a little bit of politics at the end. Here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy. It's it's great to chat with you here. So starting off with your background so the audience can learn a little bit more about you, learn a little bit more about how you stepped into the crypto space. Yeah, um, so yeah, as
1: a high schooler in 2013, Anything in tech, I was just fascinated by. I'm like, anything new, anything that's different in tech, and I'm like, on the computer, on the internet, I have to learn about it. Uh, so, but now was like hanging out in my house. I have an older brother. He had some friends over. We're just like hanging out, playing video games, watching TV, whatever. But one of his friends mentioned Bitcoin and like how it's internet money, man. Like it's going to change everything. And I'm like, immediately my my head is like, what? Internet money? Like, Internet money? This sounds awesome. I'm in high school. I don't have any money. So how do I get money? Immediately, I start scouring the internet, like Googling Yahoo, Search, Ask Jeeves, all those those platforms. Oh, my God. I'm like, what's Bitcoin? Um, Find out that it's a digital currency that you can mine. And back then, 2013, I think they started having some faucets, um, which are... Pretty much people who are trying to help distribute Bitcoin so more people can use it and kind of just free Bitcoin, but usually it's kind of like an ad generated website where you go into it, click a generate Bitcoin button. They send like a micro transaction amount of Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. but it's free. So it was exciting for me as a high schooler. I was making pennies and eventually dollars of Bitcoin. So I was, I was pumped. Um, but yeah, so that was my first intro and it was rapidly growing a lot of like news, like a hundred dollars, $20 Bitcoin. I'm like, wow, there's some real potential here. And I just wanted to learn as much as I can about it at that time. But I didn't, I didn't realize its potential other than making money, which nowadays it's a whole different mindset, but.
0: Completely. Yeah. So almost falling into it because you wanted some way to generate money for yourself to play with, to buy stuff, go out with friends. And it was kind of serendipitous that Bitcoin then exploded because of its potential. Exactly.
1: And yeah, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, like, when, when, when did you first hear about it? What was your first experience like?
0: Yeah, so I first heard about it in, in 2000, and I suppose, 12 or, or so. I mean, I don't know the exact year, but I know I was in the military at the time. I was in the Marine Corps and I heard about it being used to buy food. I think I had a friend, uh, not, I think, but I had a friend who said, I heard about this guy who used Bitcoin to buy a pizza. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like how many did he use? And my friend said thousands. And I was like, that's great. Like, good for him. I'm glad that wow. he used thousands to buy the pizza. Um, I think this story is now, uh, well known where someone used 10,000 bitcoins to buy the pizza, the numbers yep. could be off. But so I heard about it and I said, wow, that's cool. I have no interest in it, though. And (laughs) it wasn't actually until 2015, 16, I was working for a company called Capital Wave Incorporated and they were a instructional firm and they helped people in finance industry to learn more, have soft skills, understand the market. And we did a, a course on Bitcoin and blockchain technologies, and I was like, "Wow, this is really, really cool stuff." Yep. But still, I didn't, I didn't dive too deep into it. Besides recording and and editing those those videos, and I still am sort of like a novice in understanding Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies as a whole. I understand the technology, uh, but there's a lot that I find myself agreeing with on, like. I don't understand why this is so important. Where I want to know more, but I don't know what to ask or who to ask about. And so I, I can kind of relate to the layperson on cryptocurrencies are sort of mysterious to me still, though clearly they are worth something because the the price of Bitcoin today is yeah, it's twenty eight thousand, but it, it's above twenty thousand. I mean, yeah. how many years ago was it where it it peaked at nineteen thousand and then dropped to three or four? And everyone was like, oh, it's going to crash, but it's not. It's very valuable.
1: It's happened multiple times, especially since like 2012, 2013, at least three major instances of a bull run and then crashing back down. Mm-hmm. And, and like like you said, there is a lot of layers to it. It's, it's not easy to understand and digest yeah. at, at its deep core mathematical level. Even I don't. Fully, I can't mathematically write out this cryptography to prove its existence, but I know that that it exists, and mm-hmm. there's layers of people who do prove it and do check it and do confirm and agree it. So, just like open source code, people mm-hmm. automatically gravitate towards, or oh, it's open source; it must be safe, secure. People are working on it. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe and secure. It could be an open source hack. Like you don't right. know. You just trust that the civilization of humanity is actually working together on this one project. So <laughs> like so like Ubuntu, open source, operating system, free to use, mm-hmm. and we trust each other as humans that this is good. And then you trust other humans to verify that it's good. And then you keep giving that layer of trust to understand like, okay, I don't have to go into Linux kernel to read it and figure it out. I can trust the person higher than me and understanding this to give accurate information that it's true. Mm. That's the beauty about humanity. Like we are, I think, innately good and innately trying to make things safe and secure. And we will point out flaws. Right. Um, And that's kind of like the thing with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is like, I'm at a point where I understand it's use cases, its benefits and can trust the people who are checking the code and checking Mm. its validity and reporting on it, that it's accurate and good.
0: Yes. And you said a couple of things there I do want to just make a note of, which is, I can't remember who said it, but the long arc of humanity bends towards justice. Uh, So, yeah, you know, when we are collaborative together, we we do achieve great things. There's always bad actors. I mean, there's lots of, you know, cryptocurrencies that were marketed by celebrities and then everyone just pulled out their money and a lot of people lost money. So but that's not those things happen. But that is not the norm. That is not the purpose of Bitcoin is to take people's money. Um, It's a decentralized mechanism for, I don't know what I'd like you to to answer that, or at least guide that. But before you do, I want to touch upon the Linux kernel. Linux is an operating system much like um, iOS on Apple or Windows for Microsoft. And then Ubuntu, could you give me a little bit of background on it? Or at least just explain it to me basic, big overview.
1: Sure. So when I say Linux, it's pretty general, like Mm -hmm. there are many operating systems that use the Linux kernel, Mm -hmm. Linux uh, variety. And that's like Ubuntu is just one of them. There's like Ubuntu, Linux Mint, OpenSUSE, Fedora, and they all use different flavors of Linux. And they're all competing in the same industry of open source secure software for the world that's free Got it. and okay. kind of sell to corporations. They want to use it for their like, servers and such because it's pretty, since it's so open, you can edit its, its entirety if you really wanted to and make it whatever you want. Mm. As people who might use Windows or Mac, I can't fully have access to the Mac's root system. Maybe if I try to hack it, but it's not like allowed, same with windows, it's not allowed as, mm-hmm. a, as a person. Um, and that's kind of why Linux is so great as like a developer or just a curious, technical person who wants more control of what they have. Like if you have windows computer, you trust, uh Microsoft to say, this is a safe computer and every code on here has been like checked and double checked and it's also secure. None of your information is going to be leaked or hacked. Like, trust us.
0: Hmm.
1: And you know they do good. They make a lot of money. Like, I, I guess you can trust Windows, but you can't prove it. Like, I, I cannot prove it. There's no way. And people, other people can't prove it. There's other companies that might be able to, like, work with Microsoft to check their code to like audit it. But even then, so like, you trust the company that's auditing it. As a, as a as a human species, we cannot do it together
0: so is that then the the idea of like jailbreaking and um and trusting that there's no backdoor right and so in recent years there's been uh, people who have had their iphones taken away and the courts say hey apple give us access to this and apple says no yeah the general population has to trust that apple is saying no because one they're saying they don't have a backdoor or two if they had a backdoor they wouldn't give it is that sort of the the level of trust that we have as a population to those companies
1: exactly and i love how you bring up like a backdoor case for cell phones because with google they use a linux uh, operating system for their phones Mm. and google's they put their own layer on top of it they put their own code their own you know apps they want to do whatever they want it's their flavor and lots of people who are paranoid or rightfully know that google is tracking them through their google flavored operating system of yeah. linux can take that code that google made the like vanilla linux and edit it in a way where they strip away all the tracking oh and my. just put their, put their own version so it's like de-googled phones and there's well, lots of custom roms for android devices that can do this and that's what's cool about linux you can do that with ios you, you can't you mm-hmm. just trust apple to being the secure and private phone, they promise they are, but it's just, yeah, only trust.
0: Yeah. But who knows? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I do want to touch back upon very quickly the, the computation of cryptocurrencies. Um, So I think, and feel free to correct me. I think that cryptocurrencies use a public and private key and those keys are generated I'm going to try and explain this very simply because it's I can't explain it in other, any other way. Um, so it, use, uh, it uses a public and private key to verify certain information. So it's sort of like uh, cryptography, right? Cryptocurrencies, cryptography. If I wanted to secretly pass you a piece of paper, I would write it in code, uh, some sort of language that only you and I know, and I would pass it to you and you could decipher it. For cryptocurrencies, because we're passing everything through the internet, the code has to be unbreakable. And so public and private keys, the keys that we have, right, are generated, they're created using very, very large prime numbers. So you cannot divide them. Um, And those large prime numbers are multiplied by each other to create uh, this key. And then I use it to, I use that even higher, right? The two, the multiple of those two very large prime numbers. I use that to code my message to you or whatever I'm sending to you. I send it to you. You have then a key on your side to unlock it. And then you have the regular script of the letter I wrote to you or the product I sent to you. And that is why cryptocurrencies right now are so secure, because we don't have a machine that can unlock those two very, very large prime numbers to find the key. We just know, hey, here's this massive number. I don't know how many digits it is, but it's yeah. huge. And so we don't have the computing capability right now to unlock that, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's
1: the crazy part is like you that that's your wallet address, your public address, like you said, is mm-hmm. generated off your private key. So your private key, that prime number, well, it's it's a long string of numbers and yeah, characters, yeah. but that helps generate keys that can be publicly listed so keys that i can share with you that no one has the key to access it other than me but you can Mm -hmm. keep sending cryptocurrencies to. so that's like the big distinction is your private key and your public key private key never share with anybody (laughs) ever 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 no matter what no one's gonna ever ask you for that uh but your pub, your public key is what you can freely give out if you're looking for transactions so as you're like from a, someone who's kind of learning about this is it are you having any ideas of like what use cases could be like done with cryptocurrencies other than just money or monetary use, uses
0: yes yeah, so i think i know some of the popular ideas on use cases for cryptocurrency um and perhaps i know it more rudimentary, not on the cryptocurrency side, um, but the blockchain side. So first I'll start perhaps with my cryptocurrency understanding. So the decentralization of cryptocurrency is valuable because when you have a centralized bank in country uh, utopia, if they want to print more money, the central bank can decide to print more money. Now I've never studied economics. So I don't know what happens when a bank prints more money, but if they print it indefinitely, that's not good. So what a decentralized um, currency, a cryptocurrency does, is it allows uh, the people who hold the cryptocurrency to say, hey, everyone has a stake. Everyone has a say in this one person over here can't say, hey, I now have uh, a million of, of this currency. Because when they have... Uh, a block, when a block is created, a blockchain is created and they send that information to the rest of uh, the nodes, the people who have that currency as well. Everyone else is going to say, hey, you had a thousand. You don't all of a sudden have a million. That's not how this works. And so it will wipe that person's sort of like notification clean. It erases it. And everyone says, we all agree that you had a thousand. So you still have a thousand. You don't just all of a sudden have a million. And so that allows everyone to have a say in, you know, what is it that I have? Whereas, again, with a centralized bank, if the bank wants to uh, print a million dollars and send it to one person in, you know, country utopia, like the president country of country utopia, all of a sudden the president has a million dollars of that currency. And so that's as far as I go on cryptocurrencies for blockchain. I understand that the decentralization, that same application can be used for healthcare. So right now in the United States system, when I go to my primary care physician, they know a little bit about my history. But if I ever move to another location, I have to tell them my history again. With blockchain technology, if all of the healthcare system was united, I could go to my primary care physician. And when I moved and went to a new primary care physician, they already have all of my information. Once I unlock the information with my public key, right? I would give that new primary care physician a public key to unlock my information. And again, like you said, I'm locking everything with my private key. I don't give that to anyone, but the public key unlocks it based upon who I share it with. So I think healthcare is one, um, I'm, I'm perhaps blanking on some others. What <laughs> What is it that top of mind for you, you think are the most practical uses of cryptocurrency and blockchain? I think healthcare is
1: definitely one of my favorites because it's most relatable. Like you said, like if I go to a dentist and then a doctor and then like a surgeon and then a specialist about something and then I don't know what, like optometrist, whatever. I have to give my date of birth, my address, my driver's license, et cetera, my insurance card, blah, 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 over and over and over and over again, fill out that documentation Mm. over and over again. And then... If I ever want that access back, I have to log on to their platform individually and get it for myself. Like, but, like imagine asking me for your information. It's like, you know, I'm not, it's like, it's your information. Why do you need my permission or yeah, my it access? It, to get, it doesn't make any sense. But we're all in it. We're all stuck with it for now until crypto takes over. But <laughs> that's that's definitely one of my favorite use cases is in healthcare. But there's other things that you can do with things like, um, Ethereum is big on this and probably the leader on programmable smart smart contracts where, yeah, I can send you Ethereum. It's valued at some dollar value, but I'm sending you money. But with that money, I can attach a contract to it. And it doesn't, when I say contract, you can just think of a simple agreement. Like I send Kyle, you know, a hundred thousand dollars worth of Ethereum. And now that if that transaction means I will have legal deed over his house because he sold it to me. That's it. It like gets on the blockchain. It like gets written down. Everyone can see that I bought your house because you sold it. And it's what we agreed upon. I don't have to go into get a realtor to go to the local government to get paperwork signed and then get a notary to make sure that I have the proper amount of money in my bank account to get this done. The whole thing could be done without all those third party people watching and approving the, the transaction. Same thing with cars and even voting. like proving. I Imagine being able to prove your identity without having to actually give away your identity.
0: Yeah, voting that's, is a
1: huge one. Yeah, and that's the beautiful yeah. thing. It's just like I don't have to give you my driver's license to say that I'm over 25 to rent a car. Mm -hmm. Like I can go to a car rental company and say, here's my public key. And they can see what I've done with that key. They can see that this person is mathematically proven that he's over 25. No idea how old he is, but he's in the range that I need it to be. He, uh, has driven with other rental companies before I see that and all those transactions of driving and returning the car have been good His good standing with rental car companies i don't know which rental car companies but i know they exist and he's done good Mm. and then i have enough money because it shows how much money i have to rent the car and if i have to leave a deposit for like insurance it's held in the smart contract until i return the car to get Mm. my deposit back all that is
0: done yeah Yeah, all that is done, please finish it.
1: No, all that's done without me actually giving every car agency my date of birth, my driver's license, my identity that they don't need to have on their system. So
0: So two things are coming to mind. One is royalties. My understanding is that uh, crypto and, and blockchain technology helps with paying royalties. Could you speak to that at all? yeah so, I think maybe so I, royalties in like a specific industry like music industry or or another that comes to mind for you yeah, and I
1: think that's a, also another great use case and it's yeah it's used for art, music, entertainment, that's a big play, even um like selling any product, but it's a great use case where the person who created that original artwork of any kind can sign saying with their wallet publicly say, this is my wallet and Rudy made this and I released that artwork. I want to sell it. It sells for a hundred dollars. Great. But then say if the next person who buys it is a great marketer and they're able to sell it again for a million dollars, well, as a starving artist, I'm like, well, I just sold it for a hundred dollars. I put all my time and effort into this. And now I get a hundred bucks and they make a 900, <laughs> 999,000. And it's just like, what? Like, it's not um, necessarily fair.
0: Mm.
1: It's fair if you don't know, I guess. I mean, it's like if you kind of put yourself in a situation, but it's also, like, not not fair to the artist in the sense, like, they should be able to say, I made this art and I deserve credit for it wherever it goes. And typically, art isn't worth much at creation point. Usually, the artist has to go through some type of traumatic experience. If they, if they die, their art is worth more. It's just, like... It kind of It's really hard for an artist to like make it big while making the art. Yes. But you can create those royalties in a way where if I'm alive, I deserve 10% of every transaction this art goes through. As many times it's sold, so it's sold to you, then you sell it to a friend. A friend sends it to a friend. I get 10% of every transaction that happens. So I'm still collecting and being rewarded for my work. Mm. And if I die, I can make a contract saying this should go to my next beneficiary or my next of kin or if anything, a charity. So that artwork is always living and it always gives back to where the artist feels like
0: it's most deserved. Mm -hmm. And this could be done. I mean, you're mentioning artwork and I immediately think of NFTs right through paintings, but this could also be done if we were just transacting with cryptocurrencies and i purchased your artwork a sculpture you made and every time that sculpture then is resold every transaction that happens it's not happening between two banks it's happening with the cryptocurrency and so it's on the chain right it's public it's decentralized the information and so you're still getting paid even though it's not in the nft it's right is that sort of the same thing right
1: exactly so the term nft is known for you know, like profile pictures or artwork, but it just means non-fungible token. So that token, the coin that's been moved cannot be, it's not fungible. You can't um, use it for anything else other than that purpose, which is the artwork. So it's attached to something. So every dollar, dollar is interchangeable, but you can't use a Mona Lisa for a different painting. It doesn't work that way. You have to first sell it and then buy the other painting. Um, so exactly, like it's not just digital. It could be just digital, but you can attach a digital signature to a physical piece, and it can be anything too. It can even be the car if you wanted to. It, right? It, it, no one would probably buy it because, like, why are you putting royalties on a car? And That's the thing. You can see if there are royalties on a transaction. You can refuse to, to to purchase it. You can say no, and if you feel like it's valued too high, the royalties. You can tell the artist like, hey. Needs to be less. I don't think it's worth that much. Or if you want to be honest, tell them you should charge
0: more because it's so good. But (laughs) yeah. Things that are coming to mind right now are an automaker's, right? So if, for example, Ford sold their car, for every Ford car then that is sold again as, you know, pre used or like at a used car lot, Ford would get a royalty on that. Or the person who created the windshield wipers. I think there was a movie about them. They had a very long decade long, uh, lawsuit with, I don't remember which auto automotive company, but they sued the automotive company for stealing their intellectual property, their IP on the cadence at which the windshield wipers would wipe forwards and backwards, right? Not just one speed, but multiple speeds. And that person whoever created that would then receive royalties. Every time a car was sold, however much percentage the cost of that was, right? Even used cars. And I think that's very valuable. That's a way to sort of reduce discrimination because it comes to who is the person that created the thing and then they're always represented in every sale. And I think that even applies to, um, like you had mentioned previously about um smart contracts well if i want to apply for a loan i don't have to go in i can just apply for the loan through the blockchain you know through some cryptocurrency i don't know what that smart contract would look like or do how it would execute but all of my records are there and then there's less chance of discrimination because they can see my previous experience on the chain and know that i'm a respectable person and that i pay back loans whatever it might be so i think this brings us to web 3 which so what is Web3 then?
1: I think Web3 is a good way to represent digital using crypto to represent digital identity. So online identity. You can't have web three without crypto. You everyone thinks about it as like, oh, you log in with your crypto wallet address. Mm. So no longer do you need an email and password or first name, last name address, et cetera, et cetera. It's bank account information. It's like logging with your crypto address and then everything is there in the blockchain history and you can reveal as much information as you want about yourself or not. And, uh, there are some websites, like a good one that I use, like as a social media is, uh, gm.xyz. It's just a, a simple, like discord, Reddit, Twitter type social media platform where I can log on with my cryptocurrency address, my wallet. And any NFTs that I have on that wallet, I can use as my profile picture. And any NFTs that I have that are part of a community, I can enter those uh discussions and chat boards, and no one else can see them because only I have access to it because it's been gated by the NFT. Hmm. Rather than also giving it, like, rather than, like, I guess right now, and I'll compare it to Web 2. So with Web 2 you know, that's like Facebook, Meta, uh, Twitter, all those other social media platforms. When you create an account, you give Facebook, your name, your birth date, your face, everything. And then they have your information and they said, no, trust us. We're not going to do anything with it. Believe me. Uh, and then Little like, do you know, like they're probably using your information to sell to advertisers who are paying to know, okay, do you how many, you know, males do you have between the ages of 25 and 45 who are into cryptocurrencies and have uh, some type of background that they want to use for their product? Like they'll sell it right away. And you signed saying, yeah, you can use my information for this. You didn't read the privacy contract. I didn't read it. No one reads it.
0: Nobody ever does,
1: (laughs) but it's, it's there and we, we're just going along with it. Um, and the worst part is like, again, like, yeah, some people don't care, but it goes back to like your health records. Like it's the same instance, you know, you trust these health record companies to not do anything. The government's really strict on them to not do anything, but it doesn't, doesn't prevent them from being hacked. Like if they're ever hacked, all your information is, is gone. Like it's to the hackers the thing you went to the doctors for, for the doctor's appointment, you don't want anyone to know about is now in the hands of a, of a hacker. And you hope you're not a high figure, political figure who went to the doctors for something and then that's publicly released. Right. You can actually control, you can actually control that and making sure like, okay, I'm giving you X amount of information and you are not allowed to distribute this information. You, you just... Digitally cannot, there's a, there's a blockade for that. Or you can say, no, go ahead, use my name and date of birth and give me all the ads. I don't care. But when they do that, I'm saying you better give me a cut of the ad revenue because I'm giving you information that's helping you out. And that's a cool thing about crypto. It's not saying stop everything. It's like, keep a watch on everything and get rewarded for it or not. It's, 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 it's the self sovereignty of
0: permissions. I think this brings us to, uh, your, your handle, your brand, the wholesome crypto, where does wholesome come into the mix here? Ah, good question. I get a
1: lot of, uh, mixed feedback on what's it mean because most people think it's like, you know, sunshine and rainbows and like, yeah. everything is all good. I'm like,
0: you mean it's not
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, there is some of that, but there's also a lot of cloudiness. Um, I just more of understanding, understanding the human aspect of crypto. Again, it's a technology, it's code, but the people writing it, the people behind it, the people using it, advertising it, marketing it, they're all humans. And the blockchain's only as powerful as the humans make it, as we make it. Like if we're not working together on it, it's not going to go anywhere. And I, I just coined the term, I guess, since I have the handle. Two years ago, when there was a lot of toxicity in the crypto industry, a lot of different cryptocurrencies and blockchains were competing for the space as number one cryptocurrency, number one blockchain, biggest, baddest, best. And you know, since I was in it since 2013, I've originally saw it when it was very collaborative, very much on the same mission, everyone's like, let's build the next monetary system, let's stabilize what's happening now, it's decentralized what's happening now. It's upgrade the financial system, upgrade the digital system, the self-sovereignty. We can do it together. Now it's totally changed. Everyone's like arguing against each other, There's maximalist left and right. And it's hindering our growth. And it's kind of like, guys, it's not, it's not how it works. It's not what's supposed to happen. Like it's supposed to be more wholesome than that. So I wanted to really get more of the human side of crypto and learn more about the people who are building awesome projects and get their story of how they got into crypto what they're doing with it and how we can work
0: together on growing as a community that's beautiful because it it's a fine line that we begin to walk when we integrate our lives more and more with technology you forget about the human aspect of technology Uh, technology is not separate from us it is uh, born of us so to speak right mm-hmm. and to forget where the origins are is to forget what the purpose is and you're you're right there's there's a ton of there's a ton of greed that comes out of crypto because people see others making money and they go I deserve that and i think the deserving aspect the the ownership uh or the expressed ownership of something that they should receive falls in in my understanding falls into a, a judgment of what should happen. And the moment you have judgments come into the mix, that's the moment where um, arguments begin to, to have positions rather than interests, which leads to tribalism, which leads to, uh, you know, fighting, which leads to violence and so on. Um, so almost by, telling the stories of people inside of the crypto world, the blockchain world, you are recounting where is the origin of this technology. How is it that the people play a part and play with and and integrate and you know live with this technology? That's beautiful. Yeah, and it's exactly right. It just like crypto gets
1: a lot of bad rep, especially now, because people lose money, people get scammed, and these centralized exchange exchanges are doing who knows what with people's money and then losing it all, like, like FTX. And people blame crypto. They, they text me saying, oh, what do you think of crypto now that this happened in FTX? I'm like, well, crypto's great. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be decentralized. The <laughs> problem is the central entity of FTX was using funds legitimately. The government, the centralized government, wasn't watching out and stopping them. They didn't protect anybody. It's, it's, uh, it's sad because the first thought is it's crypto's fault, but it's, it's just a tool. Like you can't, you can't blame the cell phone for creating a, a a call between two people that shouldn't be talking to each other or like, it just doesn't make sense. It's not, it's the human's fault like that, that happened. And it's, humans that also do give it a bad rap. It's people who are trying to scam other people. And it's sad to say that like, like we shouldn't be hurting each other this way. We should be working together because it's supposed to be a positive sum. like that's the whole idea of crypto and, a, and like creating that you know using that game theory so it's like a positive sum for both sides. If crypto does better and you invest in crypto and you help spread awareness, you do better as a person, the community does better as a society and globally, we all do better working together We don't have to fight each other. Right. Uh, but it's, it's, it's definitely a tough ride.
0: <laughs> yeah. The So I don't know the answers to this and I'm hoping you do. If we get rid of those centralized institutions, right? So uh, I don't know all of the details of FTX. I know that they didn't have all of the funds that they said they had. So let's pretend... Or maybe just help me understand if Robinhood, for example, if Coinbase disappear, right? Those are probably the two most popular um, or the two most well-known places where you can buy crypto. Um, if they disappear, how do people access crypto? How, how is it that we can still have access to this decentralized entity?
1: So in the beginning, it was a lot, I guess, easier to create Bitcoin. During the mining process, same for Ethereum, less people use it, less people that are mining, less people that are on it. When you do that mining process of generating Bitcoin or Ethereum, you're rewarded more. And as a person who has a bunch of this, you're kind of like, please, let me pay you 10,000 Bitcoin for a pizza. Like, I don't know what to do with it. Now that person has 10,000. Next person's like, well, I guess 10,000 is worth of pizza. Let me... See if I can buy a hamburger for a thousand. I don't know. It's a slow ride. And we're at the state where now we have a pretty solid uh, understanding of dollar value and now it's like, no, I'll do thousand dollars of services or a thousand dollars of a product or $20,000 of this. And it's kind of like that point where everyone's still holding it. Like they're trying to just accumulate as much as they can. And without these centralized exchanges, it is hard to move money into crypto. Like people are not so willing to spend it because they are learning that there is a value to it in the long term. And if they all do disappear, now it's going to. What do you do? It's like it's going to be a battle between me trying to pay you in crypto and convince you to to exchange services or products with crypto. That doesn't have a dollar value anymore. And it's kind of hard for like people to understand that one day it's not supposed to be tied to a dollar value. It's supposed to be its own value. Ethereum is Ethereum, like one is one, or same for Bitcoin. Um, it'll be hard. I mean, I don't have an answer. I wish I had an answer too. I, <laughs> I
0: can't.
1: I can't imagine. Like when I think about Coinbase as a central exchange, Mm -hmm. I believe they are doing good for the industry as much as I don't have, as much as I'm like, make sure you remove your money off of centralized exchanges. I'm also rooting for Coinbase because they are the ones that are currently able to put up the financial and legal battle against the government or SEC, CFTC uh, to create better regulation and change the financial system. For crypto mm. they are pro crypto they want to they want people to have access to it and of course they do they make money off transactions and trades so it's like a win-win for them like if crypto goes down they go down because it goes up they go up and that's what we're grateful for like i i can't go toe-to-toe with the government on trying to regulate crypto most right. people can't you need to have a lot of power and, and authority to do that um so i don't i don't wish For it all to disappear in one snap, I kind of, it has to be a slow ride up. Um, the only, I guess if the government really wanted to, they can change it all in one snap just saying it's legal to use and go have fun. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a slow, slow exchange between moving the dollars onto crypto. And I think people kind of forget how much power they have, you know, if Everyone started saying, you know what, I'm just going to move all my cash out into Ethereum and call it a day. I like guess this is my, so I'm going to use it as a currency now, Ethereum. Right. And what are the government's going to do now if they don't have control over the dollar? Like no one's using it. It's just people better have move
0: their money into Ethereum.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like they have their money back in control. Um, but it, it'll be that'll be a while before that happens. Um, but Yeah. That's the thing. Like, People have the power to do that. It's just right doing it together. Yes or no? You know,
0: and a good a good comparison or just like evolution of of fiat, right? Of money in general is you know before we had the dollar or the euro or the pound or the yen, whatever it might be, we traded um, we traded like metals, right? Precious metals. I'll give you a nickel, right? It used to literally be nickel, the metal that you would give to people or I'll give you a sword for your flock of sheep. Right. And so, you, you know, the further back into history, you go, the, the general market decided what something was worth. If someone came in and they had fantastic uh, veal or they had, you know, uh, meat or, or, you know, bushel of, of fruit, whatever. I don't even know if bushels of fruit. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, people would say, oh, I'm willing to pay you a cow for all of the vegetables and fruit you have. And another person's like, no, a cow is too much. I'll give you a chicken. um, And I know that you prefer chicken. And the person is like, well, cow is more meat. I think I'm going to go with that. Like the market decides, okay, all of these vegetables that I have, that's worth one cow, uh, whether I prefer chicken or not. Right. And the idea of a Bitcoin or an Ethereum, um, one of that cryptocurrency being worth not dollar value, but itself, like one Ethereum is worth one Ethereum. The market will decide eventually, oh, one Bitcoin can buy me a house. One Bitcoin can only buy me a car. Uh, Depending upon who wants that Bitcoin, they will say, I'll give you my car. I'll give you my house. Same thing with Ethereum. Like I am willing to trade you this notebook for 0.001 of Ethereum. So the market will decide and that evolution is going to be slow because it only happens when there's a majority of people who say, I want to transact only in this thing. Right. And perhaps we might see a correlation of like, instead of Ethereum or Bitcoin worth dollar value, it's one Bitcoin is worth five Ethereum or one Ethereum is worth, you know, 0.10 of, or 0.1, excuse me, of a Bitcoin. So, I see the I see the, the path to get to that, though I don't understand every step we have to take. I don't, I'm not saying we're asking for you to explain it either, but it's it's there for sure. Definitely, and I guess
1: during your Air Force like training and um, uh, Marine Corps t- Marine Corps, sorry, thank you no, Marine okay. Corps. It's a big difference. I know I don't want. To <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess did you travel a lot? Did you go different yeah, uh, yeah. sites?
0: And- yeah, absolutely
1: did you view any monetary or financial, like different systems of how things worked and, and how did you perceive that in different countries? Like America's pretty stable, not so much now and today that's kind of getting hairy, but hmm. in different countries, they don't have st- stable money like Americans did. So how, how did you perceive that during your travel?
0: Yeah, so there was one deployment where I went to Japan and uh, the Japanese yen, has a higher number, right? So I think it was at the time a dollar, I'm going to totally fuck this up. (laughs) A dollar was worth like a thousand or a couple thousand uh, yen. And when you had that bill, that yen in your hand, you went, wow, like a thousand or 5,000. You were like, I'm rich because you're thinking in dollar value. So you'd go to a store, you'd buy a meal. It'd be like 10,000 and you'd be like, oh, this is no big deal. And then you go back and you do the calculation and you say to yourself, oh, wow, that meal was worth actually like $30. That was a little expensive. Uh-huh. So it sort of tricks you along the way. I remember uh, being in Hong Kong and exchanging the dollar for a Hong Kong dollar. Um, I believe it's called the Hong Kong dollar. And my calculation was off. I thought I had more money than I did. And I ended up spending that evening way, way too much money. Because I was like, "Oh, this is only like hundred dollars," and I think I spent a thousand, uh, you know, going out to to um, buy food, buy drinks, hanging out with friends. Um, so it's a little bit tricky when you're trying to do those calculations in your head. I think even perhaps a very valuable lesson is the exchange rate is always changing, and so when you think about your country's fiat. So we live in the United States. When we think about the US dollar, we think about, oh, I have, my dollar can buy me something at the store. But if you do something in another country, for example, I'm going to be getting married in Italy uh, in 2024. Congrats. Uh, Thank you, thank you. We need to think about buying things in the Euro. And so earlier in 2020, in the middle of 2022, The dollar was worth briefly more than the euro. It would have been the best decision had we purchased euro then, because now the euro is a little bit more valuable than the dollar, not by much, but those pennies add up when you're paying for a wedding. And now we have less value. We have less to spend on the wedding, but that will change in the future. Who knows what it will be when we get married at that time? Um, but those are the types of things that people are thinking about too. And that I'm thinking about like today, the, the Bitcoin, uh, one Bitcoin or one Ethereum is worth X dollars. What will it be in the future? I'm trying to gamble almost, um, which then, you know, feeds into my reward system, which then feeds into the, the anger or emotions, right? The, the high level of feeling that I have where shit, if only I I had bought in the past where it's like, Well. Who knows what it will be in the future so if i buy today i may make money in the future so i don't need to be hard on myself for something that happened in the past
1: you know exactly and philosophically speaking i think that's such a important thing to remember is not being hard on yourself due to the past mm-hmm. i can think about i have infinite amount of thoughts to think about of things i should have done in the past that <laughs> would help me out today but none of those I mean, it's good to reflect and learn from your mistakes, mm. but use those mistakes to progress and learn from. Because you know, 2013, 2017, I I definitely could have just bought a ton of Bitcoin and Ethereum, and just I could be si- I could be sitting pretty today somewhere else, you know, like, no issues. Um, but I didn't, and I've definitely lost a lot, and then just like I've also made some. It's just like back and forth, back and forth. But I realize this isn't, I'm not a trader. I don't know, I don't know how to time the market. I'm not gonna try to tell you to time the market. I think that's the worst.
0: <laughs>
1: that's, that's just not financial advice for anyone else listening to it. It's not, <laughs> so it's like, for me, it's just like I do what I can do with my risk level, which is just to use whatever funds I can to buy and hold. And then sometimes I do like to spend my crypto, kind of, just to kind of help out the economy of things. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to, so like I was just saying, like doing transactions globally. If, and I, I paid an artist like twenty five dollars worth of Ethereum to make my NFT profile picture on Twitter. Oh, cool. Just, just like it's just something fun to do. Like, use my money globally. It's like the cool thing is like you're learning, like that that parity between like. is not the same in Vietnam than it is in America. I can get a lot more for a dollar in Vietnam, but I have to go through an exchange. I have to go to a bank to change my money to the Vietnamese dong, and then use that in Vietnam or pay a bank to do a wire transfer or use crypto to pay that transaction. And as a society, as a global society, as we're doing more and more of these transactions, Vietnamese people are seeing Americans, get paid a lot more the same amount of work same amount of artwork so it's like oh i can probably charge more and then americans like oh no like my work isn't being valued as much because there's other people in different countries who are charging much less i'm gonna have to charge less and then it becomes that line of where it's starting to balance itself out like oh there's a global economy where things are going to be worth hopefully more equal throughout our world rather than kind of also just taking advantage like of other societies like americans and a lot of first world countries have it so damn good Mm. we can things are everything in america is manufactured in china and china's labor costs are so cheap humans are not treated fairly or equally that's why it's so cheap it's what makes it so easy for us to access things for next to nothing In America, we have all these rules, like thankfully we have all these rules, safety measurements, manufacturing measurements, like guidelines, and that that costs money to create. But that's why when it's made in the USA, you're like, oh, it's worth the extra dollar because it's probably more of a reliable product. Whereas in China, it's really cheap and shipped all the way over. It's like made and shipped across the world and still cheaper than it is to make and buy in America, which is kind of mind blowing, but that's... Like materials aren't the expensive part; it's really the labor. And, and if we had a world where we can understand these economic differences and kind of bring it onto a level scale,
0: mm-hmm.
1: society of the human race would be better off because there aren't there aren't these government powers controlling the money and deciding how much it's worth. Like these governments know what they're doing; they know what they're doing to their value of their currency to keeping, to, to keeping their people at bay at a certain work value mm-hmm. to, to provide other companies, other countries with products. And yeah, it's like that all over the world, Colombia, a lot of South America, a lot of East Asia and either in Eastern Europe. So it's tough. It's, it's like sad to see, and it's, it's hard to remember that at times it's, it's like, you have to say, mm-hmm. I don't want to purchase this from this region because I know this Gucci bag is made probably somewhere unsafe or yeah. not. Well, you just like you choose, that I sh- don't even need, but it's just like, like even the, like MacBooks. it's, they're still expensive, but like if they're manufactured in America, it'd be a whole different story. So it's um yeah, it's tough. It's tough to, it's tough to like realize that and, I think with crypto having that as a payment system can help balance that out at least some.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean it's it's you're saying it far more eloquently than I did, right? About the, Thank the, you. the poor. Yeah. The, the of course, the um my poor example of a, a chicken and a cow being purchased for cryptocurrency, right? It's the market with cryptocurrency. Is not local, it's global. Because I can exchange with you if we were in person. And at the same time, I can exchange with someone in another country on the other side of the world. And between the two of us, if you're offering the same work, the same value, but you're saying it's a different price, I'm going to go with the one that might be less expensive if I know that it is good and safe and and rightfully created. Whereas I can also say, no, I'm going to go with your work because over there it's cheaper because they have slave labor, because they are abusing their workers. And that's why they can create it and undercut the price so much. Uh, so the marketplace is able to decide. And I'm thinking now to myself, I should spend like $25 in Ethereum to to purchase some sort of uh, profile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fun thing. Like it doesn't,
1: I don't, I don't think you have to try to spend all your money on this. Just, it could be just fun, a couple tens of dollars. You can do a lot with that much money, just mm-hmm. playing around with the internet. so like, I guess more on the, the philosophical mindfulness aspect of it. It's just like your experience being in this industry, do you may have, I like triggered more potential of what can happen and what, what is happening?
0: Yes, and I think it's a really challenging thing to talk about cryptocurrency because there is so much pushback to it. Um, The media is a propaganda machine. Like Media as a whole, it is about narratives. I mean, if you look at when the media came about, like the idea of newspapers, it was to share information, yes, but also convince people of a story. And then you get caught in a narrative capture where you're strung along and your critical thinking capabilities diminish greatly. So when talking about cryptocurrency, there's already so much banter and discourse that cryptocurrency is bad and people take advantage of others and they're there to steal your money and don't put your money into Bitcoin because it's not real and all of these things. Whereas the more you hear it, the more you believe it. And that's one of the things that I hope to achieve with Uh, my podcast, How You Level Up, is like, there are small things that you can learn to increase your uh, critical thinking skills, to increase your communication skills. And it's not like I'm really even teaching anything. I'm just pointing things out. So for example, if you know that being in the sun without sunscreen is going to hurt your skin, it's not like you know the science behind it. Someone just said, hey, I have an observation where when I went into the sun without sunscreen, I burned a little bit. So, you know, Jim, uh, my friend put on some sunscreen and then Jim puts on sunscreen and goes outside and he's like, oh, I didn't burn, but you did. So thank you for the (laughs) the bit of advice. That's all I want to do is I take research. I take uh, I read a lot. And so I'm taking, you know, information from experts, um, information from my own experience where it's like. uh, Again, the more you hear something, the more you believe it, which ties into our perception of um, of ourselves, of our world, and our perception of ourselves and our world, we don't generate it by ourselves. It is generated by others. And then we adapt it, what they say, and we say, this feels right, this feels wrong. I'm going to incorporate this into my worldview. And then we go to the rest of the world and we say, hey, this is who I am. But with all of the discourse around, and negativity around cryptocurrency, it is challenging to say, well, there's actually a lot of value in this technology. We should be adopting it faster uh, in more areas. Exactly. And I love how you pointed out the
1: realism of it. So when you think of like, propaganda, media, whatever side you're on doesn't matter. There's propaganda on both sides. <laughs> um, it's it's the, the real aspect of it. It's like, is crypto real? It's just digital money it's all online anyone could write code and make it happen sure like you can think of it that way but then if you think about anything is like anything can have that argument even current fiat money has that same argument is any of it real all my money is digital i don't have any cash laying around like it's all in the banking systems that's also credit card debt if you want to use that or like whatever like housing mortgages or car payments like whatever it is like it's all digital. At any point in time, these central entities can help bail out banks, like you saw in SVB, like a Silicon Valley bank. And they can just print more money to here you go, like, oh you, you messed up two billion dollars worth here's yeah. here's here's two, two billion back. Like this is how our checks work. And to everyone else, it's like, oh, that makes that makes sense. It's real money because the government said so, but I mean, again, the government's only as powerful as the people behind it. If we have the power to vote, Mm -hmm. thankfully, we have the power to vote. And we can also thankfully move our money where we feel like it is most real and most owned by us. Yes. You can't can't make a $10,000 transaction without someone
0: asking about it. But with
1: crypto, you can make infinite.
0: It's up to you. That's right. And the charges for it are a lot less. I think that the media is one institution that has perhaps fallen apart more in recent times. I think with the banking collapse and the mortgage collapse in 2008, eight nine, there was a reversal of trust in the system, and then it grew back, and we might go through another one. The media, though, as an institution, as compared to the banking institution the media institution has been on a downward spiral because we have a decentralized way of sharing information now. Same thing as cryptocurrency, right? It's a decentralized way of moving money or value, right? So when you have the decentralization of podcasters, uh, journalists who aren't working for the New York Times or uh, the Wall Street Journal or whichever you know, place they wanna work for, and they go out on their own and they say hey i'm doing all of this journalism and i'm saying things that people don't want me to say and the very fact that people don't want me to say it isn't that interesting mm-hmm. like shouldn't we take a moment to consider this rather than saying well whatever the tv tells me is the correct thing i i think that a lot of the a lot of the you and me right general people you know normal individual citizens When we talk about media, if there is high strung uh, emotions, if there is, you know, conflict within our conversation, conflict is very normal. But when it's about positions in the media, like, no, you shouldn't believe that they're lying or, um, you know, you can't trust that source. We need to take a step back and just go, what is it that we're actually talking about? What are the principles that I have? Why is it that I disagree with this thing so much? Because if I believe in my worldview, right? Like who I am is not just me. It's what other people say of me or what I believe they say of the world. If I'm upset because someone is saying it's not right to do X, Y, or Z, why do I believe X, Y, or Z is even right to do? No, I totally agree with you because I feel like we're so focused
1: on proving right versus wrong. Yes. Yes. And like, I'm right because of this, this and that, or you're wrong because this and that, it's just, okay. But you don't, maybe I'm not, like when when I'm trying to convince someone that they're wrong and I'm right, or vice versa, when someone's trying to convince me that they're right and I'm wrong, the first human instinct is to be defensive. Like, no, 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 just no, how am I wrong? Me wrong? Like, doesn't make sense. Like, you're wrong. And you you kind of get defensive without any real backing that's how you get into heated arguments and it's important to like take a step and say okay this person is trying to tell me that i'm wrong why and like just understanding their viewpoints uh, humans forget that they just need to understand each other rather than convince each other they're right or wrong Mm -hmm. we we're we're like eight billion people you cannot you cannot get eight billion people to agree it's just i don't believe that's going to happen it just it's not, um, it's not human to for everyone to agree. Like we can't all agree on a blockchain. We're not all going to agree on a specific political agenda or things that should or should, shouldn't have access to. But the one thing we all kind of do agree on is kind of let me live my life the way I want to live it. And we can structure those environments for those types of people to live the way they want to live. Like it doesn't have to be harmful to anybody. That's right.
0: The idea of disagreement is it's seen as like a negative thing, but it's actually positive. It's okay that we disagree because then we're given the opportunity to maybe find a better solution that we both agree with. And if we don't, that's also okay. We can agree to disagree. On the very micro level of disagreements or reactions to events in the media or in conversations in your life there's a very simple tool. Uh, it's normally used for stress, but it can be used for anything. And it's a plus B equals C. Very, very simple. How could you forget? (laughs) A is the activating event. B is your belief or behavior. And then C is the consequence. So if you have an activating event, a, it could be anything. It could be positive. It could be negative. It could be neutral. A plus B, your belief or behavior equals C. So if you tell me that I'm ugly, I have a belief that I am not ugly. So the consequence is I can say, I can like laugh. I could say, well, that's not true. Or if my belief is I'm not ugly, but I might believe some part of it is true and I am ugly, right? That's my belief. Then the consequence is I become, like you said, defensive. Because there's a part of me that believes what you've said. Another example is uh, activating event. You have someone who is mugged in the city. If you see that activating event, you might have the belief mugging is bad. And so you believe that the consequence of this is the mugger should go to jail. It's very, very simple. If you have a different belief, though, and you believe okay, this person was mugged, but why was he mugged? Why was someone driven to steal and hurt another human being? I want to know what that is. Then the consequence of that belief is maybe you go to uh, the jail and you speak to that person and you realize they had a horrible life. And so you want to help them. And perhaps you're a lawyer. And so now you advocate for them in the court of like, well, the reason why he mugged this person is... um, You know, he had everything stolen from him and now, right, whatever the case is, we're not trying to like justify the actions, but the belief changes the consequences. And the belief is also a pause before the consequences. Consequences are your reactions. By taking a moment to say, what do I believe in? What behaviors do I want to act on right now? You create space before your reaction, the consequence of whatever you're going to do. And that allows you to navigate your world with a little bit of space. Not everything is just piling up on your shoulders. You can go, Hey, I choose to feel this way about this. I choose to feel this way about this other thing. And you are more in control of your world and what you can control.
1: Yeah. And then I love how you bring up the A, a, a plus B equals C. It's it, it's true. And the belief portion of it is definitely a, a mind you know bender. It's It's not... It's not easy to see someone get mugged and be curious about the person who's doing the mugging Hmm. naturally. I'm like that person deserves to go to jail. Like there's no reason to mug and I don't think it should ever be justified to mug, Mm -hmm. but that's the whole point. That's supposed to be the whole point of jail. You get reformed. You're taught like your lessons, your actions are hurting society, hurting people. You have two options. Like we can help you out here. You can be a contributing member of society and some people do reform and become better. But a lot of the system is geared towards just keeping you down and not helping actually making you as a worse human Mm -hmm. or less contributive human to society. It's just like, it's not, um, yeah, it's, it's just not taking that belief portion of it. Mm-hmm. And trying to help rather than just the A and C, like this action, this consequence. No, no, no strings. Like no, no so gray area. It's black and white. That's right. Some things are, but again, as humans, there's so much gray area. It's ridiculous, and there, it's 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 not easy to just color and make sense of. It takes a lot of practice. And it is very, it's very difficult. It's not, it's something you have to kind of experience. I remember like when I was living in South Carolina for three years, I, 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 I put myself in like a center left portion of Mm -hmm. like the political spectrum. Um, but moving to the South is very conservative, heavy. And people that I would talk to, you know, super Trump lovers, um, anti-vax, the Moon landing was fake. Earth was made four and four thousand years ago. God made it. Bible was true, etc. Mm-hmm. And my mind's like, I couldn't comprehend. I had I had to like take my time, like asking questions. But like, why? Why do you believe this way? And is there a way for you to change? Mm-hmm. And then it makes me think there is no way for them to change. truly believe this. They were taught this. And then I start thinking about myself and I'm like, well, why do I think the way I think who taught Mm. me, who taught me this? Like, why am I so right? And they are so wrong. And in the end I'm realizing, well, in my, my, my eyes, they're probably not right, but they're not like bad people who are intentionally trying to hurt and not understand just the way they believe. And, Sometimes they're still very much contributing members to society. They help their community out. They help their people out and they kind of want to keep to themselves. And I'm like, just, if, as long as you're not hurting anybody or like trying to enforce your beliefs on other people that don't want it. And that's again, general public The, the general public is pretty quiet and timid and kind of wants to stay reserved and not be involved with conflict. They kind of just want to live their own happy life with their own happy people, whoever it yeah. is in any background. And just live that without being bothered, but it's the ones that are allowed and trying to convert others that make that battle. And, and thanks to the internet, we hear a lot of that. So I learned a lot from different extremists, but I also am like, you're not, um, you're going to A to C and you're not, you're, you're skipping B, both of you are completely skipping B. And most of the society is like now having to question their beliefs because they're afraid to think critically on their own. Because these lot of people might just yell at them, and I don't like getting yelled at i don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be like yelled at what, why I'm thinking what is wrong or right like I enjoy conversation, I enjoy debates, I enjoy different kinds of people, and I want to learn from all kinds of people
0: to mm-hmm. yeah spread that spread that uh knowledge yeah i you opened up the door to very fun topics we've got <laughs> politics, we've got theology um we have uh a few avenues to go forward with i i want to take first just a moment on theology and it'll tie into to politics just a little bit and um so i grew up with with uh, a mom and, and dad who were of two different religions so i have had a deep interest in theology uh, from a very young age it was always so confusing when we would go um to to temple my mom was jewish and my dad didn't have to join us he was a mormon very very different religions but also very similar yeah. yeah and i was like well why doesn't dad have to come why why doesn't he have to say the prayer why doesn't he have to learn the prayer and it sort of put me on a path of when when you were living in uh in south carolina right south carolina yeah south carolina um and you have these people who believe the world was created 4000 years ago or um They, whatever their beliefs are, I think that's where uh, A plus B equals C, where the B is forgotten and not acknowledged. The belief of religion is okay. You can believe that the earth was created 4,000 years ago, so long as it doesn't cause anyone else harm. You can believe that Jesus was your savior. You can believe that Muhammad was your savior. You can believe that the Buddha, you know, carved a path for us to follow, to reach enlightenment. And if you follow in his footsteps, you will achieve it. That's not a problem. In fact, there's no problem with that at all, because religion is a vessel for value and ethics. It's not the only one, but it is the most common. And when you forget that religion is a vessel for ethics and morals, and you believe that those ethics and morals and those stories are factual, you get lost. You you begin to become blind. You're like one of the, the wise men who's touching a part of the elephant, not realizing that the tail is not a rope, it's a tail, or that the trunk is not a branch, it's a trunk. And I believe that by looking at those values, by looking at the lessons that religion teaches us, they're all the same. It's yeah. be a good person, help your neighbor, give to people who don't have, uh, if there's a tyrant, strike him down uh, or her down, whoever the tyrant is. And that is so lost because the discourse never reaches that point. It stays on. Don't draw pictures of Muhammad. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> if you don't, if that's part of what makes you happy, I'm not going to do it. Cause I, I respect you as a human being. Right. And I think this, Pulls into politics insofar as when you believe in a political ideology, so much so that hearing the opposite of what you believe in causes you to become angry, you are tying that political ideology to your worldview, to you, to your identity, rather than saying, "I think this is the the right route. I think this is uh, a route that will achieve success." If success equals Uh, I'm gonna use a comparison here. If success of my life equals I get to feed myself, I can go into my garden and raise a whole number of different vegetables. That's not to say I should only be growing potatoes or only be growing corn or only be growing squash. I can grow all of them at different times of the year and they will serve me wonderful purpose if I change them out. But if I only grow corn, then I'm going to destroy the nutrients in the ground. If I only grow squash, I will destroy the nutrients in the ground. And I think that has the same thing of if you only believe in right ideology, if you only believe in left ideology and you do not entertain or see value in anything on the other side, you're going to destroy the nutrients, your critical thinking abilities, because you don't have the ability to say, I could be wrong in this situation, in this one topic. So, to be devil's advocate with you, um, or perhaps just to push you a little bit, what is, even if you you called yourself center-left, right? Okay. What is one conservative uh, or right political uh, value that you believe in and agree with? Good question. Um,
1: That's tough. Let's see. I think this is a, this is probably a soft one, but through the politics with gun control. Okay. I think if you ever lived in the South, and if you're ever out nowhere, it's like out of nowhere, like like living in the world in this. Like maybe you should have a shotgun. I definitely don't agree with the assault rifles. I don't think anyone mm. needs that but a shotgun to protect my land. There's no police station down the block. If you're in an urban city, Mm. you can't just call the cops and they'll be there in two, three minutes. And even if you're in an urban city, they don't come that fast, but you have like the safety in numbers where in most of America, it's open space and there isn't safety in numbers. Safety is your community. Mm -hmm. and Typically that community can be a religious community because that's the only community there. Um, even though you don't agree with the religion, it's like, well, they're the only people who are going to say they're going to protect me. You know, there's there's no other enforcement that's helping me out here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's probably that, and you know, having um, what's it called, the right to protect your own property, protect your own land. Mm-hmm. Like coming. That's something day.
0: like the the castle law or something. Castle law.
1: Thank you. Exactly. And from New Jersey, like you can't, you can, I guess, technically own a, a, a firearm, but it's like you cannot use it on your own property. If someone's attacking you, you have to first call the police or run away. And I think that should be taught. First call the police and try to run away. Like, but, and again, this is why it's so hairy. It's it's not easy to, I can be proven right and wrong, folks. Like I'm open yeah. to both sides. I'm not trying to. I like, I like hearing both sides a lot because I can see both sides. Whereas, yeah, protect my land. It's my land. If you're on it, like, just shouldn't... Like, first, why are you on it? That's the belief. Yeah. Like, let me learn why you're on it. And then if I'm learning that you're trying to rob me, like, then it's me or you. And it's never... I never want it to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's that issue where I say if someone's on my land accidentally and I'm some... Psycho who just enjoys using my gun, then I use it. And should the law? Oh no, they trust the person who is alive. Trust trust their word,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or just be like, what's the belief behind this? Why did you shoot this person? They, they didn't look like they are trying to rob you, but you shot them anyways. And that goes into the other aspect where I'm like, yeah, the left makes more sense here. Like you shouldn't just be shooting people.
0: Mm.
1: And I wish there was. A, like a common understanding ground. It's hard to like it's hard to have one way or one side. It's I think that's probably the most difficult thing is just like there is no right answer. I'm not I'm not here to say one side's better than the other and their way of thinking it but I think what we can do is have a system where both can win. Hmm. Where if it was a blockchain world (laughs) and you can have communities where it's like, this person is just not allowed to bring guns here and you prevent them because they have something on their address that shows that they have a firearm on them, or they are a person who is typically heavily armed or can be heavily armed. So check them. That should be allowed. Like, Why not check that and develop your communities because yeah, I want global society, but I also don't want to take away community from people. I think communities are important. Human beings are have a hard time working in the billions together. They can work in the fifties, the hundreds, maybe the thousands. But once you get into those large numbers, it's even in my own hometown, it's hard to find people who all agree. It's just not how it is. But mm-hmm. yeah, also what yeah. are your thoughts too about that one. That's a good question.
0: Yeah. Um, so I think, I think you made some really good points and it's, it does become challenging when you, when you reach those higher numbers for collaboration to continue because environments change. When you reach those numbers, people don't live in the same area. They don't have the same day-to-day interactions. Like I walk outside of my apartment, I can walk to a store. I, I prefer to drive because it's a little bit of ways, but I can walk to the store, whereas if you're in rural America or you know rural Minnesota, you are not walking those six seven miles to the store. you are driving a hundred percent because it's too far away there's just too much land between you and the store, and so you you pushed on to me what is a uh, what is it that you're asking me exactly? <laughs> well, I don't know which way you lean or are. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a centrist. Okay. Yeah, but so, there are ideas on both sides I absolutely agree with and disagree. I love to learn. I guess a little bit about each side.
1: Like, a, what's something you kind of agree with the left and kind of agree with the right that usually combat each other? Yeah.
0: Um, so uh, I'll take uh, gun control um, for the right. I absolutely believe that people should be allowed to buy and, and have and house weapons. Um, I agree that AR-15s, uh, you know, automatic rifles should not be allowed. Um, I don't believe they should be allowed in any way, shape or form. I think that the solution, my solution, uh, which is again, right, I'm a lay person here, just with an opinion, is regulation. There's nothing wrong with saying that if you want to buy a weapon, you have to take a test, a written test. You have to pass a practical application and then you have to renew that license every couple of years because that's what we do with cars. If you want to drive a semi truck, you've got to take a different test. And so apply that to weapon systems, which is if you want to buy a handgun, um, you can buy a handgun. But you have to take a written test and you have to take a practical application test to ensure that you know what the weapon system does. What it is capable of, what its purpose is, and in some level, I guess there is a, a a very advanced system of understanding what does this person intend to do would be fantastic. I have no idea how to achieve that. We we need some psychologists and um, yeah. therapists to achieve this. But uh, guns should be allowed to be purchased, weapon systems, um, and then on the to left. Pick, uh, to piggyback
1: off that real quick, when no, I did please. go sh- shooting in the south. With- some of the coworkers are people. Yeah, yeah. I've, like my first time shooting, I'm like learning how to use a gun and the seriousness of them teaching me was off the charts. I was like, these people are dead serious. Like, don't you dare ever point that at any human being unless you intend to shoot them and you should never be intent to shoot people. Never have it loaded. Never have your finger on the trigger. Never drink or have any influence when holding a gun or even planning to touch a gun. It's It's super... I opened my eyes to like how serious and how important it is for, for people down there to take care of their guns, to properly educate people on gun control and like mm-hmm. gun safety. And when you talk to these people, that's, those are the people that I want to like, like, yeah, they, they should have, like, they know how to use it. They know how to educate other people how to use it. And those are the people who should be allowed to own mm-hmm. a gun. They're the ones following the rules, going to the, all the regulation processes and educating others on it and making sure everyone's safe using it. Yeah, but back go ahead
0: back to the left side. Yeah. I just to yeah, yeah. So, for the left, um I think that uh in America, we should be and this is going to this will sort of show my centrist ideology. Um we need immigration. We need people from other countries coming into America that is what America is. This thought that uh, the right has where America is, you know, um, this isn't going to be most right people. I should be very specific here. There is a small group of people on the right who believe America is white. It's simply not true. America is Indian. I, I mean, and that's even wrong to say they're Native American. And through immigration, we have Europeans who came over and through immigration, we have people from uh, the rest of Europe and Asia and Africa and South America coming over. That's why we're so successful as a country is because of immigrants. It's not to say that immigrants are the reason why America is great, but it's one small piece in the dynamic and complex system that is America. We need new ideas to come in, add to the ideas we have, and then go, shit, we don't agree, let's find a solution. And that solution ends up being better for everyone. So I I absolutely think immigration is necessary. And I think that we, I could be wrong, I'm I'm sort of going off the top of my head just through like logical arguments here. I think we also have the greatest uh, immigration policy. Now, what I would say is that policy needs work. I think that in order for us to control and manage immigration, this is silly, but like a wall is a good idea. Do I think that a wall is necessary? Like a physical wall that's 20 feet high? I don't know, but I think that you must be able to control your borders. And so how we control our borders is to be determined. I do not have a solution. Because, I think, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, it's okay. Please, I want to hear, don't forget, <laughs> don't forget. Um, because if you don't have border control, you are not a nation. You will have uh, a nation next to you take your land and say, no, this is ours now. A nation, an entity needs to have border control so that I can say, yes, I would like you uh, immigrants from Mexico to come over. And no, I don't want you cartel members to just drive into our lands and drop off whatever it is that you're dropping off or smuggling. Like I want immigrants to come over, but I don't want them to have free reign of when and how they cross. So please
1: so back to the border controls. I i'm the same way like, i agree with like my family has immigrated from turkey to america i'm first born us american so it's oh, like fantastic. thank you and my whole family became us citizens a whole spiel like worked hard <laughs> did what they could do made enough money and gave me opportunity hmm. and that this is where i really like again like, blockchains a problem that can solve this is like <laughs> Imagine a society where when you enter a country, you're given an address and this address, public address is what you use to collect your salary is what you're taxed on. That's the biggest thing. Everyone's like, Oh, you're coming to America to make money and make cash and run away. Don't pay your taxes. And the government gives you all these free benefits. Like that, that's like the right argument against mm-hmm. immigration and cartels coming in and bringing drugs into America. Um, War on drugs is a whole different topic, but like another time, <laughs> <laughs> another time. But like using like if 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 people want to come to America, like, all right, here's your address, your crypto address. This is what you can use to get paid for jobs, mm. and we will automatically collect taxes from your paycheck. I don't have to ask this non English speaking native to try to fill out tax forms that are hard for me to do mm. and just collect the taxes and give them the benefits that they rightfully earned through working. Cause yeah, most people that do immigrate here, like I just want better opportunity. I've heard of this place that's advertised as a promised land, the dream land where I can make anything happen. Like, wow, why wouldn't I want to go there? Right. It's, it's, I want to go there. And then all of a sudden you go there, it's just not as it's all cracked up to be. And you're you're kind of stuck because it's still better than where you were, but you're still stuck in a system that's not as good as your home country. But it's like it's tough. And the ones that do make it and stay in and you know do everything right, it's it's not usually the first gen that succeed the most. It's usually their children who have the opportunities to start from you know, from young, from, from birth, like go to good schools, hopefully, and then go to you know, high schools and colleges and learn the system and actually create that wealth rather than their parents who just worked as, as much as they could to create the opportunity for their children. So, yeah, like having a system where you can, I guess, better track and work with the people and give them the right opportunities mm. that would hopefully solve some things. Again, not an expert, I'm just. Speaking what I think now and I can always be changed.
0: Yeah, you you are though. This is the groundwork for example, the the disagreements on voting. If you have someone, an immigrant come in and they're part of a blockchain and you know that they're an immigrant, there is no way, no possible way that they can use their wallet, their address, their identity to vote if they're not allowed to vote you immediately cut out all of the the arguments that are based upon, well, illegal immigrants are uh, voting or you are using dead people to vote. Those arguments are completely uh, closed when everyone is identified on a blockchain and not identified like, I know you, where you live and everything like that. It's like, it's encrypted. All of your personal information is encrypted and what the blockchain sees is just that I know you are a citizen. I know that you are alive and therefore you can vote. And when you have that, you don't need to worry about um, uh, people gaming the system because you can't game the system. You can't game the the voting uh, capabilities on a blockchain. And I think gerrymandering aside and um the... Uh, the electoral college aside, we should be using uh, blockchain technology and crypto technology for voting in our general elections, in our you know midterm elections, because it's the only way to accurately track voting. It's the only way. There is no other system. Exactly, and
1: yeah, you can't like mail extra ballots or throw out ballots, and then it, it doesn't it doesn't happen. And you're right. I, I wish it was used more, but I guess we're learning as a, as a society, we're still learning the power of the digital
0: age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. And I, I I think we could go a little bit deeper um, though this is also a, a good point to maybe sign off on. So yeah. first I will say thank you so much for for chatting with me and talking about crypto, talking about blockchain, Web3, Uh, for sharing a little bit about your history. If anyone wanted to get in contact with you, where would they go?
1: Uh, Twitter is probably the best, at Wholesome Crypto. DM me or just tag me in a comment um, or go to my channel and just YouTube uh, at Wholesome Crypto. And then, yeah, feel free to let me know how this episode goes, everyone. And just, um, yeah, it's definitely eye-opening. It's fun to like explore different thoughts. I think that's what I really wanted to show in this conversation is just thinking differently. And like how you said, thinking critically mm. and being receptive without upsetting, being upset, just what if, and your point can still be valid, but it just fun to learn and experiment that
0: thought. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle. Um, and I hope you have a great day. You too. This is all about how you level up.